Hello and welcome. This is the Climate Voices podcast and I'm your host Omesa Mokayo. I'm pleased to welcome you to the third episode of our podcast that is bringing together various climate champions that have been addressing climate change to share their positive stories and experiences. With our guests from across the planet, we'll be unpacking the complicated climate science one conversation at a time to make sure that we're leaving no one behind in the fight against climate change. On this episode, we are joined on the show by an amazing guest that is doing a lot of work in addressing climate change in different capacities, Mr. Paul Mutuku. To briefly introduce Paul, he's a Kenyan-based young climate advocate and an environmental defender working to champion meaningful youth engagement for climate action. He has experience in community organizing, climate communication, campaign coordination, environmental education, among other areas. He is a digital storyteller and a trained environmental educator with Arocha International under the Education for Sustainable Development. Paul is a regional director for Africa at Youth for Nature. His key focus for Africa is on nature-based solutions, land restoration, reforestation, ecological farming, and youth leadership across the spaces. He's also the Global Youth Ambassador at Global Evergreening Alliance. Welcome, Mr. Paul. Will you briefly take us through what you're doing, specifically uh, at the moment in addressing the climate crisis? Yes, uh, thank you again, Amokaya. It's a pleasure to be here. And just to quickly mention about uh, my current work. So, uh, an Africa Director at Youth for Nature, and Youth for Nature is an international youth-led organization that works with young people to empower them and build their capacity uh, as equal leaders for both the nature and climate crisis. And we do this uh, through storytelling, um, of course, capacity building and knowledge uh, sharing, mm. recognizing that uh, we need to exchange the knowledge that young people from across the uh, regions uh, in the world mm-hmm. are having. And we need to tell these uh, stories um, in all the different formats. Um, so that's one of the things that I'm doing uh, in uh, Youth for Nature in Africa. But also I'm a co-founder and executive director of the Kenyan Romantial Action Network. Uh, in short, we are called KIN. And one big program we've been running in Kenya is called Bustani Gardens. And through Bustani, we actually seek to engage learners and communities on practical and experiential um, installation of uh, uh, gardens for vegetables and fruits, mm-hmm. but also for indigenous trees so that we inculcate and create that culture of restoration and uh, mutual understanding on where humanity needs to connect with nature and why we need to empower the young generation to grow up knowing the importance of connecting the soil to biodiversity and to our own uh, human uh, livelihood and well-being. So that is a bit about what I'm doing and I'm happy to share more uh, as we continue the discussion. Uh, I picked something about storytelling. So like, is there a specific audience you target with your of communication work? Yeah, so at Youth for Nature, our storytelling program is actually uh, pretty much what we started with uh, since 2019 uh, when we were founded. Mm. And uh, back then, the idea was to really reach out to young people from across the world that were working on uh, land restoration, like mental protection, or even advocacy campaigns in their communities Mm. to share their stories and their stories of impact. And then we were working to compile these stories and take them to New York for the first ever, um, you know, youth summit before yeah. the UN SDS, uh, you know, summit in New York. And yeah. again, you're saying... I actually remember <laughs> we met there for the yeah. first time. Yeah. Yeah. And I met with you. I'm uh, sorry. And, and I think 
this was a very big campaign because it actually in Africa we, we had a global submission of 90 stories and over half of these stories are coming from Africa stories that young people are telling on how the climate crisis impact is impacting them mm -hmm. but also stories on how they are creating solutions with mm -hmm. their communities mm -hmm. around you know the imminent uh, crisis and to me this represents the hope that storytelling can uh, can give us and we've seen it amongst young people amongst indigenous communities and amongst many uh, people on the ground and, and we need to reach out to them and ensure that we capture their stories as it is and tell the world um, as it needs to be told. Yeah, one thing I've realized in this space is that um, the kind of work that, for example, you're doing or the kind of work that the young people are doing is it seldom gets to the mainstream media because they're busy, you know, covering stories. It's, it, it doesn't look like catchy in uh, quotes and quotes. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I really like what you're doing about storytelling. Um, the work that you mentioned you do, like the one you presented in New York, is there like there's something that you can say, um, the kind of impact that you've brought from your storytelling campaign? Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you. Um, just a thing from New York, um, we actually had a week-long exhibition uh, to really allow stakeholders, both government, uh, corporate world, uh, civil society, and also the UN fraternity, mm -hmm to walk through our exhibitions and actually see what young people are doing. And the idea we had was that if we spotlight young people, then these stakeholders get the opportunity to know what is happening and then they can directly influence how financing is being done for restoration, mm -hmm. for conservation and of course, you know, for the new uh, idea of nature-based solutions. So one of the impact was actually getting to communicate with a wider audience uh, in the donor community and in mm -hmm. the civil society that allowed us to then communicate and connect more with especially Global South based organizations. And so from t uh, New York, we were able to scale up our storytelling program. Mm -hmm. uh, and now we've actually conducted several campaigns uh, to for nature. Uh, you know, allowing young people to come and share their stories, contribute to our story map, and we do actually have our website um, dedicated to a uh, you know a story map where we can view all these stories of uh, change from young people across the world. But again, another impact I think it's how we have this uh, micro grants program mm -hmm. where through you know nature uh, competitions we set up some campaigns and then we allow young people to submit and, and there are some you know grants uh, small grants of course yeah. that are given to them to help you know scale up their work and to help improve uh, the solutions they are doing on the ground so I'd say these are some of the impacts and of course the opportunity to contribute towards you know creating um, more diverse stories on what's happening on the ground and then allowing youth to connect from anywhere in the world on what is possible where and how can I learn from this to continue the work that I'm doing on the ground. Yeah, so this uh, storytelling is, is not just, uh, you know, centered in Kenya, it's, it's just across the world. Yes, it's, it's a global, it's a global um, uh, storytelling program again, because Youth for Nature in its nature is a global youth-led organization. So even our approach to storytelling has been um, global uh, to that effect. That's amazing. Yeah, so in, in the uh, beginning, you also mentioned something about Bustani Garden. So can you briefly talk about that? Yeah. And the kind of impact that you've had with, with the Bustani. I remember like some time, was it in May? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I joined you to Kakamega to, to Kakamega Primary School where we did something with the kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was really amazing. I was in, uh, impressed with the impact that that brought. Mm-hmm. So if you can briefly talk about that and uh, if you've done that in other areas, mm-hmm. yeah, what you see are other uh, opportunities that mm-hmm. we can scale that up to other areas that mm-hmm. young people can listen to. Yeah, of course. Thanks, Mokaya. And just to start on this, Bustani is the Swahili word that means garden. Uh, so uh, Keen has been implementing this Bustani, Keen Bustani Gardens, which is an idea to again deliver and implement experiential conservation education learning with uh, learners in either primary or high schools, but also communities that we are visiting to across Kenya. And the main thing is um, there's a lot of environmental talks but we are not engaging on practical mm-hmm. uh, processes and uh, practices to really like exchange the knowledge. I don't believe people don't know. I know people know but it's a, it's a question of how do we practically show it on the ground. Mm-hmm. So through the Bustani Gardens we are able to connect with the learners in both primary schools, high schools and the communities around them on how what it means to take care of the environment, what it means to set up a uh, vegetable and fruit garden, what it means to actually start an indigenous tree hub or tree nursery in a school. So we've been able to um, at least install around five uh, Bustanis mm. across different counties in, in Kenya. Um, and, and of course, you joined us in Kakamega. We've done one in, in uh, Kenyan's coast, a school called Amani Primary School. Mm. We've done one in Eastern Kenya, um, St. John's Primary School, which I also believe you joined us. Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, Machacos, right? in Machakos, yeah, yeah, we've done another one in um, in Eldoret, mm-hmm. a children's home. Uh, we've done another one, um, actually in uh, Meru, and then we plan to do one in Northeastern Kenya. The hope is we are able to at least have Bustanis in all the 47 counties in Kenya and allow learners to actually interact with the Bustanis in their school, understand how, you know, what, what it takes to install and and set up a vegetable and fruit garden, mm. how what it means to even plant and take care of an indigenous trees and, and you know, the associated ecosystem services and also, you know, human-based as uh, benefits from such an approach of conservation and, and in the long run hoping that we can really connect with Kenya's education system and help um, the government also deliver our kind of curriculum. Um, so that we then create the next generation of uh, restoration and conservation leaders in the country mm-hmm. and, and in the long run contributes to, uh, you know, towards Kenya's commitment to reduce the, you know, carbon emissions by now 32%, 32% by yeah. the year 2030. So that is a bit about um, Bustani and yeah, we've installed uh, around five uh, Bustanis and we hope to scale it more and install in right? all 47 count- counties in Kenya. Is there time? scale that you're looking at? Not really. I mean, of course, the sooner the better, but we want to work with realities. Uh, of course, our bustanis are based on uh, financing, so mm-hmm. we are also actively fundraising to ensure we get enough funds to be able to plan for every school that we are uh, going to visit, because of course, there's a labor cost, buying the materials, visitations, then you have to buy a few other items for the schools because of their different needs. So these... Um, then means we have to actively fundraise, which is what we are doing currently, so that we can uh, strategically plan for every school, every county, and every uh, community that we are um, planning to do outreach and implementation at. I really like what you're doing around empowering young people. I remember, you know, coming into this space, 
uh, into the environmental conservation space mm-hmm. I, I actually found myself you know when I, when I, when I left high school I, I really didn't know before that um, environment is a thing I used to love of course I used to love trees and stuff I come from the highlands mm-hmm. Kisi highlands it's a super green area and, but about conservation I actually took it as a career mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah I don't know if I if, if it, because I lacked options I, I wanted to be a doctor some time back but um, mm-hmm. I thank God I didn't mm-hmm. <laughs> but because uh, I couldn't save people now I'm saving the planet mm-hmm. yeah which I think is actually better I, I like the idea of uh, working with the young generation because we, we say now the, the future belongs to us mm-hmm. you know getting the young people to have that uh, nature in them mm-hmm. from the young age of taking care of the environment mm-hmm. and and you know installing the bustani gardens in the primary schools especially with the kids mm-hmm. i saw how passionate they are in kakamega mm-hmm. you know they they know in them that they grow up knowing that they have to take care of the environment for the environment to take care of them because mm-hmm. actually as, as we have seen from the you know um, strikes the global strikes that um, you know emanated from the young people is that the older generation is failing us and it's our time uh, to stand up as, as young people because the future belongs to us mm-hmm. yeah so you've mentioned a lot of things that you're doing um, I picked something you talked about uh, you know financing as a major uh, impediment to this work I know um, the World Bank is doing a lot of work uh, you know around financing climate action locally there's something called Floca I don't know mm-hmm. if you've heard of mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. Uh, especially working through the counties mm-hmm. so I'm just curious are you uh, you know working with the counties uh, or just just working specifically the communities mm-hmm. you know yeah. in, in addressing climate mm-hmm. change yeah of course so, and before I answer that let me also say that I had bigger ambitions as well to either be a pilot or be a doctor yeah it's, but it's good to be ambitious <laughs> yeah yeah I mean it's, but, it's, it's yeah. for every young person I know but my ambition actually <laughs> to turn me into yeah. being a I say I'm an environmental doctor just like you say now we are actually healing the planet and yeah. healing communities which is okay mm. but yeah when it comes to financing and collaborations with the governments um we've actually tried to when we go to some of these counties of course one of the stakeholders you have to think about is the county and the local leadership mm. so in some of the counties like Kisumu we actually directly worked with the um, um, Ministry of Environment uh, to come and install the government I uh, mean the Bustanis mm. and really have their active leadership in mainstreaming and pushing for the Bustani mm. um, that was being installed in uh, one of the schools there uh, in other counties we've tried to reach out and engage but in our times government has bureaucracy and, and processes yeah. so it might not be um, ideal that we end up working with them but for the for the communities that we don't manage to work with the counties we still go with the commu- you know the rest of the stakeholders there but um, definitely in the end we do like I mentioned we want to also see how it can be mainstreamed into the main uh, mainstream education uh, curriculum so that speaks to how we can plan it well and, and share uh, our content with the counties and the government to have it um, enrolled into the formal curriculum uh, or as a complementary uh, curriculum that we can offer you know now that we're talking about competence-based uh, curriculum yeah, yeah then how do we actually also work with the government to do this so I'll say it's a work in progress we've had some good relationships some county governments definitely not with all of them but we continue to see how we can engage and um, do more outreach to have meaningful participation of the government mm-hmm. in a very key uh, school-based uh, program.
yeah as you know talking about curriculum development so do you see um in a future where we're going to have environmental education or climate studies or climate change being taught in you know primary <laughs> schools and uh, i don't know Yes, Mokai, I think a very short answer, I think that's yes, it's already, the future is now, it's already happening. (laughs) And the fact that, you know, some of the schools actually allow us to have entry into Mm. their facilities and Mm. offer these to their learners, it just shows that actually this is much needed. Mm -hmm. Communities are ready, schools are ready. So it's only the best interest of the school and the the learners Mm. to avail and ensure environment is a program and a subject that is uh, part of the mainstream uh, subjects mm-hmm. and part of the mainstream school uh, program. So yeah. I think it's already happening. Uh, it's a question of how can they scale up, how can they fasten and make sure it's mainstreamed um, throughout um, students' uh, you know, school life. We'll be happy to you know, uh, see the programs up and running and we'll be you know, happy to say that Paul took part in this. <laughs> the young, the young children. Grow older? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, amazing. Um, Mr. Paul, so you talked about uh, some work that you're doing, uh, especially with uh, Youth for Nature, around nature-based solutions. For, and I'm sure not everyone understands uh, what mm-hmm. nature-based solutions is. This is a term that has come with the advent of you know, um, the changing climate. Mm-hmm. So everyone is trying to come up with terms. And you know, sometimes we talk of uh, climate smart agriculture, we talk of agroforestry, we talk mm-hmm. of ecological farming there are all these new terms coming so if you can briefly you know talk about what nature based solutions is and, and mm-hmm. uh, kind of work that you've been able to do around that yeah. especially in you know forestation uh, and um, landscape restoration, restoration. Mm-hmm. yeah okay of course definitely and i think uh, just a quick, uh, uh, I may not give the full explanation or definition of nature-based solutions. No, but I mean for, for layman. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I think for layman's understanding, mm. um, actually, nature-based solutions have formally just, you know, been introduced into the climate discourse uh, mm. not more than five years or six years ago. But these are things that have actually been happening since time immemorial. Um, indigenous communities and the first communities to inhabit the planet who are more like, you know, uh, engaging on a, f- a farm to table uh, diet and farm to table um, practices which are more localized and utilizing on the power of nature not extractive but really using the resources that they are available mm. to uh, benefit humanity but also contribute towards sustainably being able to get it more from the environment while taking care of it so formally uh, nature-based solutions have then been defined as actions to protect uh, sustainably manage or you know restore modified or intact ecosystems mm-hmm. of course uh, cognizant of that fact that you have to attain both uh, you know uh, livelihoods for human beings but also ecosystem benefits so there's that bit of connotation yeah, yeah, yeah. between nature and humanity mm-hmm. and when you think of it that, that is what indigenous communities have been doing to protect forests be it mm-hmm. in kenya in the mao yeah. most of the ogiek and other indigenous communities have actually been uh, live alone, you know, having some sites for, you know, beehives and everything to get some food from them. Mm-hmm. They have been the custodians to t- protect these uh, natural ecosystems. And that's why now we have intact forests, we have lakes, we have wetlands, we mm-hmm. have rivers mm-hmm. that we can actually call rivers because of the kind of because, yeah. indigenous knowledge and protection that these communities have been able to, uh, you know, secure and ensure since all those times. Mm-hmm. So um, this is the basis of nature-based solutions for us. and. Mm-hmm. Uh, at Youth for Nature, there are a few things that we've been able to do and I'm happy to just announce a, a 
program that we are about to pilot here in Kenya next year. It's called Inuka. Inuka. Again, Inuka is a Swahili word that means to rise up in English. Mm -hmm. So we, we intend to uh, like uh, implement a program uh, with at least five youth uh, youth-led nature-based solutions programs from mm -hmm. different eco ecosystems and landscapes in Kenya on uh, one and a half years to really introduce them to nature-based solutions standard by IUCN, mm -hmm. uh, give them mentorship and nature-based solutions best, best practice training, offer mentorship training uh, again to the same youth groups on how they can really scale up and enhance uh, implementation on the ground for nature-based solutions but also offer some small grants because again from what I mentioned before mm -hmm. financing seems to be a really critical issue that is impacting and affecting youth-led uh, initiatives when it comes to climate change and adaptation right so uh, part of the program will be to also um, capacitate the youth and give them some small grants to be able to scale up their work um, mm -hmm. uh, so that then you know they enhance uh, the, the impact on the ground and then lastly we hope to actually undertake a very strong uh, multimedia communications uh, campaign mm -hmm. that will help us to tell the story of what it feels and, and how young people actually leading on nature-based solutions and implementation across um, Kenya is a, is, a, is a pilot country and then the opportunity for us to mainstream and fundraise more to scale it across Africa. So mm -hmm. after the pilot is over, we hope to have then done more fundraising to open it up across other African countries and therefore Deliver Africa is a nature-based solutions youth-led program that will impact and uh, give financing and, and capacity to, youth to be able to do more uh, nature-based solutions and landscape restoration initiatives, uh, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. in this decade that we are calling the UN decade of, you know, ecosystem restoration. Mm -hmm. So that's a bit about what we're doing at Youth for Nature. And I quickly just mentioned another avenue where we are engaging on nature-based solutions, um, the Global Evergreen Alliance, which is uh, an organization that is headquartered in Australia. And I'm a Austria Australia, Australia, Australia. Yes, uh, I'm an ambassador at the Global Evergreen Alliance, in short, GEA. Mm -hmm. And uh, just this year, they actually um, managed to get a fund um, that is going, it's called Restore Africa Program. So they are going to implement um, uh, nature-based solutions in the form of farmer-managed uh, natural regenerations. In other words, working with farmers and communities uh, on the ground that are doing farming mm -hmm. on how they can promote agroforestry practices, uh, you know, protect the trees, mm -hmm. especially native trees around their farms, uh, while still growing their, uh, their cash crops and, and therefore helping to enhance uh, biodiversity protection, um, you know, in, in, in the next five years. So it's like 100... Uh, 50 million uh, dollar investment mm -hmm. uh, that will be running in around six uh, sub-Saharan sub African countries including Kenya, Uganda, Malawi, I believe there's Tanzania mm -hmm. and a few other um, to comprise the first uh, pilot mm -hmm. and then from there there'll be more uh, scale up across other African countries. So you see there's a lot of interest in Africa, a lot of interest in uh, land restoration using nature-based solutions and I believe the youth have a big opportunity to really uh, tap into it and see how we can engage meaningfully and, and support while also, you know, getting the benefits of such kind of engagement in nature-based solutions um, approaches. Yeah, what I'm uh, reading from that, it's, it's, it's a lot of opportunities for young people, especially, you know, you mentioned things about, you know, capacity building, uh, there's all this fundraising that you've been doing, in, uh, you mentioned about the NOCA program targeting young people, mm -hmm. uh, so 
I, I mean, we have all these opportunities that we have for young people to take part in the you know conservation space, mm -hmm. especially what you mentioned is a new term that has hasn't been in the you know in the space for quite a lot of time. It's five years nature-based solution. Mm -hmm. You mentioned also about communication, which is something I'm I'm really so passionate about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because what you are doing, your work, especially what you have said, it's it's about working with the communities. I love. You know, working with communities, I've worked with a lot of communities, especially from the lower eastern parts of Kenya, mm -hmm. which is you know, either arid or semi-arid, mm -hmm. in especially tackling the impacts of climate change. These are communities which are so impacted mm -hmm. uh, by climate change. And communication, sometimes it reminds me uh, of a time in 2019 when I was, uh, you know, working in Kisi. Mm -hmm. And uh, one thing I realized, it was a campaign on climate uh, finance mm -hmm. one thing i realized is that um the people in the communities really want to act but mm -hmm. they don't know uh is this it's how we package the information mm -hmm. that is the really the problem mm -hmm. you know we come up with these big terms you know yeah. nature-based solutions climate mm -hmm. change and all stuff climate mm -hmm. science mm -hmm. but the people at the grassroots they know what's happening mm -hmm. but not in terms of how we package the information mm -hmm. you know Communication is very critical. One thing I did is, uh, you know, talking about climate change in mm -hmm. vernacular. Mm -hmm. This campaign that you mentioned about communication, you know, mm -hmm. multimedia communication, mm -hmm. is something that I see an opportunity for young people, especially mm -hmm. um, you and, and the young people that you are mentoring and, mm -hmm. and the rest of us who have been in this space for some time. Mm -hmm. It's an opportunity for us to, you know, break down uh, mm -hmm. environmental conservation, mm -hmm. you know, climate change and all these big terms. Mm -hmm. Try to break that down into a language that the people at the grassroots, not the, not just the young people, the young yeah. kids who are coming up, but also, you know, the, the rural communities, the indigenous people, mm -hmm. yeah. in a manner that they can understand and also want to take part in some mm -hmm. part of, uh, you know, principles of environmental education, yeah. getting the people to be aware and to be able to take uh, part in what you're doing and to be co-leaders in i think just the you know the the, the development and mm -hmm. also the implementation of such a program and one thing about inuka is actually that we've also put a set aside some budget for translation because like you're saying i believe it's very important mm -hmm. for local communities to own the process right yeah, yeah. and it's important for them to also tell their stories so mm -hmm. i think like you're saying one of the problems you have with um such in amazing restoration and environmental initiatives like who gets to tell the story mm -hmm. and how do they get to tell the story mm -hmm. and one of the issues we've seen in the past is how i'm sorry but not sorry to say this <laughs> that most global north and white-led organizations from the west will come to africa mm -hmm. and try to implement very nice fancy worded uh, mm -hmm. restoration on environmental social projects mm -hmm. but when you get to the heart and the meat of this you realize actually most of them sat in, in some very big uh, offices. Let me use the example of Washington, maybe DC. Yeah. And then they thought of a problem for, you know, hunger stricken or drought stricken country like Kenya. And then what is the solution? Let's go and give them food aid. Or let's go and, you know, support with more tree planting. But the question is, have you actually consulted to know what the community wants? Mm -hmm. Have you allowed the community, the impacted community, to tell you what their primary concerns are? Mm -hmm. And that's how you find at times some of these programs, they seldom succeed. Why? Mm -hmm. Because, number one, you've not even involved the very it's, community. It's, it's top down. Exactly. And yeah. it has, the community has to be like in ownership of these projects. So if you miss them when you started the program, then you miss them uh, in the long run. And I think, like you're saying, that's why it has to be a bottom-up approach, a community, community engagement, yeah, exactly, program and process for us to ensure 
uh, we conserve. And of course, finally, to just say that restoration cannot work with communi- without communities. It mm-hmm. can't work without indigenous communities. And in Africa, I don't believe it can work without young people because, of course, it you know, comprises the most youthful yeah, uh, region. Yeah. Yeah. And it's only in the best interest of the world and African leaders in this case to actually tap into the power, energy, and potential. And of course, creativity that African youth are presenting mm. and then be able to co-lead and co-design and co-implement solutions to both our nature and climate crisis. Only then can we achieve the African dream world, a, a better, sustainable continent for all. Very strong information there, very strong message that we have to involve the communities. We have to have these uh, initiatives emanating from the communities. That's We have to have that aspect of community ownership. That's the only way that we're going to have all these um, initiatives that we're doing being owned by the communities and being successful mm-hmm. in terms of seeing the impact that we want to see mm-hmm. in addressing climate change. Yeah, yeah so um, recently attended the Africa Protected Areas Congress mm-hmm. in Kigali, I believe, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I believe you got an opportunity to meet um, other young people, not just from Kenya, but uh, mm-hmm. from the rest of uh, Africa and other regions, like mm-hmm. uh, this is a, a good avenue for young people to, you know, share ideas and uh, try to pick the best practices mm-hmm. of how yeah, other young people are addressing um, these issues that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. So is there something that you picked in particular <laughs> that you want to talk about? Yeah, uh, exactly. I think Nabot uh, just mentioned that I believe EPOC uh, Congress was an amazing Congress. Mm. It was a much needed regional uh, forum mm. because I think I was actually surprised and struck that it took so many years for us to have the first ever what is being called the inaugural mm. uh, conservation forum in Africa for a region that is, is so big. It was the first actually, you'll be mm. surprised, yeah? It's so big in terms of landmass, you know, it's a, yeah, an opportunity population. for restoration population, you know, mm. so many resources. So you imagined mm. that you could have had so many of such forums happening before, mm. but that notwithstanding, I'm happy that it happened. And then Kigali, Rwanda and Kigali in this matter, being the host was very phenomenal to us uh, mm. as African youth and African leaders in mm. conservation. Mm. One thing that I picked out of the conf- con- conference and conversations was how like African leaders actually doing a lot. Mm. African youth and civil society is doing a lot. Of course, not what to the extent that it's needed, but it's a lot of work happening on the ground. And and the Kigali call to action mostly centers around what I just mentioned before, like ensuring that we center indigenous indigenous communities, uh, youth and local communities that are at the center of conservation, mm. uh, making sure that we do have the free, prior, and informed consent when we approach these communities with the goal of you know a restoration and conservation agenda, right? If we kick them out of the territories they've been conserving and protecting for us, then what are we doing? Mm. So one of the key issues around the Kigali call to action was actually ensuring that we center communities and ensure we engage them, right, and respect their rights, mm-hmm. and and work with them as equal players in mm-hmm. the implementation phase of uh, um, you know what is now considered as the APACT Africa Protected Areas yeah. Conservation Trust, and you'll be surprised it's actually being financed by African uh, heads of state and states to you know uh, impl- be part of the implementation of the future of Africa's uh, conservation. The final thing I think I wanna mention is. This Congress had a very huge uh, African youth turnout, and uh, for me, I think that's encouraging because yeah. I've been, I believe, you've also actually been part of these big global conferences. Mm-hmm. The, there's the youth factor that always 
misses. And if you find youth, just a few youth that are selected to tick the box, mm -hmm. but with APAC, there was really that meaningful and deliberate engagement of young people. Mm -hmm. And I believe that this sets the pace for Africa's next frontier yeah. in conservation agenda. And I think it was really much needed and it was impactful uh, and we cannot afford to not celebrate this big moment for Africa. Wow, big moment for Africa and for the young people from Africa. Yeah, so do you think, um, you mentioned earlier that um, the, these organizations from the global north mm -hmm. were leading you know, conservation work in Africa, mm -hmm. which um, sometimes the agenda is not rhyming with the you know the needs of the people the communities mm -hmm. that's one of the big biggest challenges that we have in you know international development that you're trying mm -hmm. to address mm -hmm. is to make sure that our initiatives are coming from the ground and whatever projects we are doing mm -hmm. like what you're doing with the bustani the mm -hmm. Inuka project and all that mm -hmm. they're actually addressing what the people need and, and you mentioning that uh, this conference that gave the young people from Africa space to air their you know, views and, and present what they think needs to be done uh, to address um, the conservation challenges, the climate change challenges that we're facing in Africa. Mm -hmm. um, we have seen a, a case like, for example, the Conference of Parties, you know, mm -hmm. the UNFCCC, mm -hmm. where young people have resulted to affirmative action it's just mm -hmm. about protest and stuff mm -hmm. because they're not getting a space at the table to air their views mm -hmm. I'm, I'm happy that you are reporting that mm -hmm. uh, this conference was one of a kind it's a success for africa mm -hmm. so this is something that you're saying you know um, the rest of the world can borrow from mm -hmm. In giving the young people the space to, you know, give their views and contribute to and that, and to meaningfully to meaning, you know, yeah, yeah. yeah. So mm -hmm. one thing we also want to do with with this kind of work is not just to, you know, work in the communities and our work goes unrecognized. Mm -hmm. We want we also want to be part of, uh, you know, influencing the policy making processes. We wanna have the, you know, back the power that we deserve. Mm -hmm. So. Um, has your work been able to, you know, influence policy making processes, especially mm -hmm. at the county level? So I know, you know, issues around climate change and environment, mm -hmm. especially here in Kenya, it's a, it's a default uh, mm -hmm. form of the, it's a default function of the national government. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there may be mm -hmm. some of the policies that uh, you've been able to influence in these mm -hmm. counties that you have been working in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. And I think um, as I respond to this, I'll also say that, um, of course, we do recognize like, my statement before about global north organizations mm -hmm. um you know some coming and then not aligning the local initiatives and and the needs and of course it's not all organizations but i it, I'm, I'm not sorry to say that there are mm -hmm. global north organizations that have done that i'm not shy to say that mm -hmm. uh, but of course that does not put all global north organizations in that one basket we yeah, still have course, yeah. good that you know ones that are good and doing a lot of work mm -hmm. in terms of uh, policy influence and everything i think i first quickly mentioned about a project that uh, youth for nature uh, global Youth Biodiversity Network and, and Yungo, which is the official youth uh, constituency okay. on climate yeah. uh, change, right? UNFCCC. Mm. Uh, so around also nature-based solutions. UNFCCC uh, is the United, United Nations Framework Convention, Convention on 
international climate, climate change. change. Sorry yeah. for the acronym. <laughs> yeah. So we actually collaborated on a joint uh, partnership um, mm -hmm. on nature-based solutions. Of, of course, you know the IUCN nature-based solution standard was launched uh, in 2020, mm -hmm. and of course, you know the very first standard to guide our nature-based solutions to be implemented, and you know the standards and the indicators. But then one component that we wanted to be sure exactly like what's the place of young people? What's the place of indigenous communities and how we are addressing um, mm. you know some justice related issues and yeah, land rights gender. and exactly all mm. those things which we felt were really missing on this standard and mm. the, the definition also itself so we undertook a project to number one help break down this highly jargonized uh, text mm. on nature-based solutions uh, to allow young people to first understand what it is actually and what are the cases uh, that you can attribute nature-based solutions to mm. and then after that we uh, after you know we developed that info pack to help young people understand what nature based solutions is and from there then we went further to uh, launch a survey mm. to help yeah, have young people really respond on like what mm. definition do you even think nature based solutions should be given what are some of the key attributes and mm. factors mm. that should be considered while you know having a unified definition for the term mm. and then of course like in terms of youth engagements right what are things that for young people indigenous communities need to be part of the standard and the definition and then you know like land rights and uh, some of safeguards that we need to put even when you talk about uh, you know restoration are we doing it at the expense of local indigenous communities are we doing it you know at the expense of the youth and, and uh, our farmers and, and foresters who are doing the amazing work for protection and restoration mm -hmm. then after that then we actually organize a very big um, side event at COP27 in Glasgow last year where we launched the first ever youth uh, global youth statement on nature-based solutions mm. and actually yeah, unavailable. I was actually going to ask if you're <laughs> taking part in that. <laughs> yeah, we did actually youth financial one of the lead uh, partners on that and, and right now the, the the material information is out there for any young person to contribute to. Mm -hmm. You can still engage with the standard and, and like this youth statement and help us understand whether it's working for you, what are some of the things from the region and from your countries you can really utilize the material Mm. to influence our policies on you know, our nationally, nationally determined contributions mm. and climate um, you know, goals. Mm. Um, so that's one of the projects we've been able to do. And again, I'll also mention for KEEN, Kenya Environmental Action Network, um, in the year 2020, just around the time Kenya was about to you know, submit us a revised national yeah, determined contributions. Yeah. yeah, so we also had an opportunity to also collaborate and work with the Ministry of Environment and Forestry, uh, I believe also the British High Commission and a few other stakeholders, um, mm. to really, like, have a serious dialogue for a week mm. with young people on, net, net, uh, on NDCs and then what does this mean for us? What are the opportunities for implementation and how can young people be equal, you know, stakeholders in the implementation phase of this uh, important mm -hmm. uh, commitment to the UNFCCC uh, um, uh, framework? Mm -hmm. So we were able to conduct that and of course our recommendations fed into the um, second uh, NDC mm -hmm. uh, just in time before it was actually uh, submitted to the UNFCCC yeah. registry. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the ways and of course we've tried to also host some local conferences of the youth to really help with the climate agenda in Kenya to help push for more youth engagement, inclusion, but of course in terms of you know the 10% forest cover, you know what we're doing with the Bustani Gardens, it's mm -hmm. part of the policy yeah implementation that actually we are contributing to the country mm. uh, and of course again offering Bustani in a very experiential way that you can use our climate change act, act uh, 2016 in Kenya mm. to really engage learners on you know, the climate change issues in Kenya but also the solutions 
and ways that we can really ensure that this policy is transformed into action and they are centered uh, around communities and communities are doing something to really give life to the you know policies that are set by our country so yes there are some actions and we are not stopping we are still yeah. continue to do the good work that we are, i believe we are doing on the ground <laughs> a lot of actions actually not some it's a lot of <laughs> actions that you're doing and what amazes me most is that um most of these actions you're actually talking about they just they're not just uh you know impacting Kenya as a country, but mm-hmm. also Africa, mm-hmm. given that you're carrying your voice to these international um, conferences, like the Conference of Parties that is happening mm-hmm. um, in November in mm-hmm. Egypt, mm-hmm. which you've mentioned that you're taking part in. So um, actually talking of that, mm-hmm. um, so is there a specific message that, especially now that we've been, you know, you, we, earlier we said that um, young people are not involved in most of these conferences, mm-hmm. like the one that uh, you had in uh, in Kigali, mm-hmm. now that this one is af- is actually happening in Africa, I, I, do you see this as an opportunity for young people from Africa, mm-hmm. you know, to rise up and say, um, it, it's it's our time to shine? <laughs> exactly, that's a very good question, Mokoya. Mm-hmm. I just say that I think um, it's always been Africa's youth um, time, mm-hmm. I believe. It's, it's but always of course, our time. Yeah, it's always our time, really. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. uh, there's never tomorrow, there's never yesterday, it's today. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I believe, I agree with you that these conference is coming to Africa so we have to own it and all that mm-hmm. so I'm happy to quickly report to you and uh, our viewers or listeners that are from any part of the world that Keen uh, managed to actually uh, successfully fundraise uh, mm-hmm. for a project we're calling it uh, Africa uh, Youth Caravan to COP27 mm-hmm. it will be a decentralized uh, project mm-hmm. uh, a decentralized uh, caravan you know uh, to bring together our youth action and movements from all uh, regions in the continent for mm-hmm. serious discussions mm-hmm. around climate action, the solutions we are giving, you know, ranging from you know food systems to water security to livelihoods land and really land restoration, just energy transition, mm-hmm. and how we can then build it up towards COP27. Mm-hmm. So already we are thinking of starting the workshops by uh, September, and then we'll have a delegation of 20 African youth from all these different parts of the region mm-hmm. to represent um, their, the their peers yeah. Yeah, exactly at COP27 in, in Sharm El Sheikh. And for me, I think that's a big opportunity. We are really just a national based organi- initiative, not even an organization, an right? Yeah. And we are able to bring at least you know 20 youth yeah, to such that's, a global discourse. That's, that's like some impact, that's right? Phenomenal. Exactly. Thank you. So we, we plan on doing this, and I believe that actually. And I know there are more other caravans that are happening mm-hmm. and there are more uh, projects that are really trying to bring African youth voice to the global arena at COP27. And I think, uh, to answer your question, yes, there's a lot in that. It's a moment for African youth to again take ownership of the process mm-hmm. and to guide the climate uh, agenda in, in Africa. And for us, we are doing that bit. Uh, and we do hope we can connect with more uh, stakeholders, more organizations that are doing this and really being part of the, this uh, this amazing uh, journey for us. I'll quickly finalize by saying that uh, once the 20 delegates are in Egypt, we plan on having some three-day workshop uh, mm-hmm. in Cairo and mm-hmm. then potentially having uh, some 
now in person caravan either in a green bus or mm. you know in some walk mm -hmm. towards Sham and then in Sham we'll have some camels mm. you know to just have some nice entry into the COP27 yeah. venue mm. have some you know media briefing to present African statement to mm -hmm. presidency but also to ensure that this material goes beyond COP that is a lasting and focusing material that African youth can use to you know effect um, the actions on the ground and really to impact uh, you know uh, the solutions and the, 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 the uh, like commitments that mm. the world is giving and all leaders are giving and also to ensure that we empower this youth to further continue acting on the ground and knowing that their story matters their action matters and we can't tell it no one else will, will tell it and I'm happy to say that from what you said it's Africa's time it's always been Africa's time mm. and African youth need to really rise up to the agenda take it with both hands walk with both legs and go representally in Egypt. Amazing. I call that a uh, call to action. <laughs> it's Africa's time. It's Africa's um, time for young people to shine. Let's make our voices heard. Exactly. Let's make our and, voices And let's hard. hope this is the last time we're saying it's Africa's time. Let's, let this be the last Africa's time. Yeah. Um, let it, uh, you know, get the impact that we want to see. Yes. Yeah. Any last, you know, call to action you have for the older generation, for the policy makers, for the young people, mm -hmm. for for the global north of for anyone that you you know mm -hmm. wanna speak to. Well look here. Come to the yes, okay, I believe we can't be a planet if uh, we leave anyone behind. And and I think what thing that African youth are showing and through your podcast you're also showing is that power of collaboration and engagements and partnership. Mm. So am I call to action uh, of course for young people, our leaders and other stakeholders like let's continue coming together, let's merge our efforts and let's work on a system that makes the world a better place, mm -hmm. that makes sure that we don't have a global north and a global south. Why not just have, have a global have global, planet. you know, like let's just have of course, we have one planet. Mm. Can we do our actions to really make this only habitable planet the best planet to be? Mm. And can we make sure that planet Earth is a heaven that we so seek to go to after we die? Let us live Amen. in this heaven <laughs> before we go to whichever other place we believe we'll go to once we die. And, and, and then lastly, to our young people across the world, let us be encouraged that our work matters and we will always find light at the end of the tunnel. So whatever small action you're doing, um, it's about the story of the hummingbird. Do your little thing, I do my little thing, Mokaya does his little thing. And when all these little things are joined or combined together, we'll have a lot of amazing impact and we'll transform the world to a point that the future generation might just be surprised and give us a tap, even in our spiritual form. Amazing. In the spirit of the UN Sustainable Development Goals, you said, leave no one behind. Exactly. And I love the story of the hummingbird. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's been amazing, Paul, having you on the show. Thank you so much for your contribution to this. I, I wish we could have all the time we need, you know. <laughs> we could be talking ab about all these things all day, but um, mm -hmm. um, we will, uh, you know, reserve that for next time. Yeah. Uh, it's been amazing. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, just hope this message gets to all the people that we're targeting and uh, this time we see action. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so thank you so much everyone for listening in. Uh, I, I encourage you to, you know, keep looking up, uh, look out for 
uh, the future guests that will be hosting and uh, the, the, the kind of information they will be sharing about what they are doing. Because we'll not stop here, like Paul said, we'll continue doing it until we see the impact that we want to see, until uh, we make planet at the best, yeah. uh, the, the best planet yes. that we want to live in. Exactly. Yeah, and so until next time, I've been your host, Omesa Mokaya, and um, thank you, Paul Kaloki. And yeah. thank you for hosting me, Mokaya. To the, to yeah, the pleasure. absolutely. <laughs> yeah, so um, until next time, uh, our listeners. Bye-bye.